Bienvenidos a RDF Outlook, el podcast donde platicaremos con abogados y visionarios sobre su carrera, retos profesionales y el futuro de la industria. Yo soy Pepe Toriello y estoy convencido que los abogados podemos trabajar mejor y más rápido con los softwares correctos. Este podcast es una prueba. Antes de empezar este episodio, quiero pedirte un gran favor. Si te han gustado todas las entrevistas que hemos hecho, por favor, danos follow en Spotify o en Apple Podcast y recomiéndanos con tus amigos. Esto nos va a ayudar muchísimo para poder seguir produciendo contenido. Mil gracias y bienvenido a RDF Outlook. Hi everyone and welcome to another show of RDF Outlook. In this episode, we're going to talk with Eric Eck. Eric is a head legal function consulting and legal managed services at EY in Zurich. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, welcome, Pepe. <laughs> welcome to my room here. <laughs> It's great talking to you, Eric. We had a, a very long conversation in our last time. It, it is incredible to, well, to that, that you can share with us all your experience. And I think uh, it was so interesting to hear about uh, some of your experience regarding legal innovation. But let's go first things first. Eric, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career? Yeah, okay. I'm 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 50 years old, uh, 52 actually in a, in a couple of months. Um, uh, you guess from my accent maybe that I'm French. I'm born in Strasbourg. Uh, that's on the German border. Right. Uh, uh, I then lived in London. I lived in New York City. I lived in Cork in Ireland. I lived in Geneva, and now I'm living in Zurich for the last four years. Uh, so my wife is uh, is also French. She's an engineer in chemistry and works in the pharma industry. Wow. I have a 16 years old son and a 14 years old daughter. They live in Cork in Ireland with their mother. Um, I studied business. I, I, I did not study law. I'm not a lawyer, but I didn't study IT either. I'm really a business person. And um, what else can I say? I mean, uh, I used to love volleyball in my young age, and now I'm trying to use as much as possible the, the mountains in Switzerland in the winter with a lot of skiing and um, walking and hiking a lot in the summer. That's amazing, Eric. And I mean, it, it makes this a lot more interesting to talk with people more involved into the business part that with lawyers, because I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer and we try to be like very narrow regarding how we work because we all some, well, not, not all, of course, but most of the time it's very focused into the legal part of, of, of any business. So it's incredible to having you in our show. And well, for everyone that doesn't know Eric, let me tell you that He's been working on legal innovation since long time ago in companies like LexisNexis, right? Thomson Reuters, and now EY. So how will all of this happen and how did you find out about this, I mean, legal innovation since you're not a lawyer, Eric? Well, like a lot of things in life, you, you, have, to, you have to trust that accidents are great. And uh, basically, when I studied uh, business in France, I started to work with the Mars Group, which was a, a fantastic first uh, employer. Um, I then worked on some first tech uh, pre-internet electronic data transfer in the printing industry. And then um, I also worked in the first digital imaging in the radiology uh, industry. And that was all happening in France. And, uh, and when I was talking about an accident, I, ju I just met um, 
somebody uh, in Prague that was living in London, and um, that took me to London. It was love that took me to London, basically. And when I joined, when I when I arrived in London, I I I, I found a job at LexisNexis. I actually started at LexisNexis Martindale Hubble. Right. Which I, I I don't know if you know that because you're 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 much younger than I am. But uh, <laughs> Martin and Havel was this bible, this directory that uh, every lawyer in the world ought to be in, and uh, so that that's how I started. And it was it was a, a great opportunity because it made me meet um, uh, an enormous amount of uh, of private practice lawyers uh, anywhere in the world, but also in-house legal team at the time much smaller than they are today. Um, but it, it it was also interesting because Martin and Hubble was the first internet B two B publisher that went free of charge on the internet, right? And um, and that was basically the sort of link with technology. That was what what attracted me to uh, to Lexis Lexis uh, at the time. And what was funny is that um, uh, it was an institution, and uh, basically I had I had two three fantastic business years with Martin and Hubble in the late 90s, very early 2000s. And then the law firm started to consolidate. And the other uh, factor is that um, those bigger law firms uh, did not anymore need, uh, need to, to find a, a sort of um, partner in different cities or in different countries. They had their own internal offices, uh, integrated multinational law firms, so to say. Right. And they also started to get these marketing departments together where they were they did, they did not want to give all their money to Eric at Martin L. Hubble. They wanted to do other stuff in terms of marketing, which is which is fair. Of course. And then I started to decrease a little bit. Uh, and then I started to think, how can we use this one million lawyer um, uh, directory? What can we put in there to make it more attractive and 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 move into into what we call blue ocean in terms of, of management? Um, Pepe, you will remember your your studying <laughs> on that. Right. But it, it was really about starting to 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 design applications. Um, at the time, they were not called applications, and try to get tools in place in this directory that was on the internet between. Um, traditional law firms, private practice lawyers, and their clients uh, using the sort of resource of spotting something. So it was that that was basically the, my my first steps, my first three four years in um, in this business of law, as we as we call it, right? Right. Perfect. And then after that, I sort of um, uh, failed convincing uh, my um, publishers at the time. I. I, I I, uh, I'm sure they will not blame me, but uh, LexisNexis was a publishing house. It still is, but uh, I, I was far too early and far too fast for them. And uh, and I decided to try my luck with um, Thomson Reuters already at the time. Uh, but uh, I had no more luck after one year. I then went to Voltus Kluver. So you can say that I did the three large publishers uh, trying to get innovation, technology, processes, and all this sort of stuff in there. And, and and just could not, and um, it, it led me to, to to create my own business, what you would now call a legal tech, but at the time it was not called a legal tech; it was just a business set up to uh, to to try to 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 carry these ideas that I had um, in in mind. So uh, that business was called Lexwiser. It was created uh, around the 2005, 2006. Um, I started to create a sort of a first service line uh, doing marketing or business development for law firms but very quickly the um, the idea was um, going to go back to build a what we call now a platform that's another 
uh, buzzword at the moment on our legal scene, but uh, right. it was really true. I mean, I wanted to share legal knowledge and uh, uh, I, I sort of uh, was doing my business in the day and I was coding using Skype overnight with um, with coders in Cambodia. And so that's wow. uh, that's for the startup spirit uh, at the time. Uh, it, was, it was really good fun. And the whole idea was to try to set up a, a, a matrix of... Um, 16 industries and 10 practice area so say uh, you are a um, uh, an employment lawyer that's the practice area and your industry is uh, uh, i don't know retail to take one and then you you are in this one little cluster so to say that is employment lawyer in retail and if you take this matrix of 16 by 10 you have 160 clusters and, and, and i quickly realized that uh, if you take one of these clusters, most of the time, it was it was about two or three key pain points that everybody was facing. And I really wanted to, to, to use that platform and develop the um, applications, the tools, if you like, to, to, to kill those pain points for everybody. So it was about sharing knowledge, uh, use applications to collaborate. Uh, uh, but then also, of course, being a platform, I already tried to use it to scope and cost legal work, uh, delivering letter of engagement, then sort of uh, phase out the different uh, milestones uh, of the project to manage, the work in progress, um, and down to the payment. Now, saying that, you wonder why, why is that not known? Why <laughs> it's not known? Because in 2008, there was a, there was not a, a COVID pandemic, but there was a serious crisis as well. And frankly, I went bust after two years of that in 2010 because there was no venture capitalist uh, pouring money in uh, in legal tech at the time, and and law firms they were the the, the service payers, so to say they. They, they also had um, uh, cash restraints policy at the time. So that was the end of Lex Wiser. Great, great. And I mean, I, I mean, now that you, you, you made me think about a lot of things right now, because I got to say that right now, this is still a pain point, right? Maybe not just for the lawyers, but even for, let's say, general counsels, the general counsels, even in the same country that they have no idea which firms would they like to hire, right? And, and I think that was a very innovative point of, or, or perspective, right? Because you were dividing it in different industries. And right now, I would say that most of the law firms try to be like, try to market themselves on how they're experts in their areas of practice, which sometimes it doesn't make sense for a, for a, for a, for a client in this case, or a, or a general counsel, because they want to know if, if the firm has knowledge and, in, and if they understand the pains of their industries, right? Which is like one of the main things that uh, in, in prior interviews, general counsels have always told us, right, that they are looking for lawyers that they know what, how the how the industries work, how the industries work. And I gotta say, like this kind of pain point still there now in 2021. Oh well, you know, Pepe, I'm I'm still going back to my good old metrics uh, 15 years later, so <laughs> I just can't help it. No, I, I think you're right. I think it's still there. Um, uh, but it it. it, 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 it how to say the the, um, the 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 pain is still there. The, the 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 obvious evidence of knowledge in a given practice area is fairly simple to find um, because of internet, because of, um, uh, of, of of people communicating better as well. Uh, but the, uh, the the sort of uh, combination of practice area and industry uh, knowledge 
and a given jurisdiction is, is something that is still fairly um, uncovered, I would say today. But uh, yeah, so every every I would say every I don't know every every three or four months I'm I'm going back to revisit my metrics and it helps me to think. So that's that's also good. That would be pretty interesting, you know, because I I would say like right now I mean uh, I mean most of the general counsels, especially when they're when they're in the outside jurisdictions, right? Like they try to go into these legal directories. I mean right now they're still uh, I'm pretty sure that Mar Martindale is still there, but right now I would say like the most important ones are Chambers and Partners and Legal 500, and this is like a, a way on how to filter them, right? But still like um, most of the hirings of law firms have, have got to go by word of mouth and recommendations. So I would say that maybe there's still <laughs> some market there. And I, will, I would say that those metrics will be like pretty useful right now. Well, well. In, in any case, it was it was time to close down at some stage <laughs> because you, you can only go as far as, uh, as it's possible. And uh, it has costed me um, well more than I could afford anyway. But uh, that's that's part of uh, the uh, the journey, and um, I'm I, I'm absolutely not regretful on, on the thing. But you know, it's maybe great. one day I will I will get it out again. But uh, yeah. So then, uh, uh, turning the page, what is, again? Accidents in life are happening. I I, I remember that part of the Lexwise experimentation was. Um, um, mentored by uh, by a general counsel of a large bank in london and uh, he was telling me at the time look eric what you do is great but you know there is more you you should meet these guys uh, uh, from a business called business integrity and they are uh -huh. developing something really cool that does uh, document assembly with a product called contract express and um, so here i remember vividly as we speak uh, we were sitting in this uh, general counsel office and um, you put two uh, startups in in the same room Uh, it's much more collaborative today than it was 15 years ago. So basically, <laughs> we sort of we sort of didn't get on. We we sort of did not really take on this general counsel's advice to 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 bind forces to develop his dream product, so to say. But when I went bust, I sort of called uh, this this person and I told uh, I told him, "Well, Richard, you know, you're right. You're still in business. I was clearly wrong because I'm no longer. Uh, do you do you want somebody to work with you?" And uh, Uh, we decided to uh, to meet in the middle because at the time I was living in Strasbourg. He was living in London. Right. We took uh, we took our trains to meet in Paris. We had a lunch uh, in front of the railway station, and half an hour later, I was um, I was um, in charge of Europe for Contract Express. So I was then going back to my um, uh, automation adventure that I discovered with. Uh, in the early 2000s already, but uh, it was great to work for Business Integrity, push uh, on uh, law firms adopting document assembly and getting productivity gain from it, but also working with um, some uh, in-house legal team to do document assembly workflows and um, and also contract lifecycle management using SharePoint to, uh, to right. sort of... Uh, Uh, repository, the, the whole thing. So I know that you are uh, fairly um, fairly clued up on on on, on contract lifecycle management. So <laughs> right. you, you see what I mean here, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of statistics right now, right? And and especially you can even search in Google how much the term or the keyword legal tech have been growing in the in the during the last year right now because I mean with the COVID and everything everybody has to go digital or it will be like very hard to stay competitive. And I mean 
this build this been growing a lot and i think there's a huge market out there because i got i mean in in my experience at least here in latin america and, and mexico and i'm pretty and i'm pretty sure that maybe in uh fairly most part of the world, like lawyers are still using like the same tools since Windows 95, right? They only work with Microsoft Word, <laughs> with email and track changes and, and maybe SharePoints and 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 some other uh, software like cloud storage and 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 everything. But, but but there's a lot of tools and I'm pretty impressed that since long time ago you you were aware about this and you knew that there were a lot of things that could be out automated because i mean there's a lot of work that, that can be automated because it's 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 a lot of paperwork and it's a lot of 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 work and time that that can be done by uh by a machine and just going back about the legal tech and this uh new term that is this this buzzword that is going all around what would you say are your predictions for 2021 regarding legal tech in the industry Well, you know, the, um, the the point is that maybe just to carry on a, a, a couple of minutes more on, on what I did next, because um, I also happen to work with um, with um, with Enterprise Legal Management, one of the three largest providers here, really working on um, getting closer to the um, SAP and Oracle uh, financial systems of a corporation right. and plugging matter management and spend management onto it. And eventually, I returned to Thomson Reuters because I, I worked up until about uh, end of June uh, for the last four years as head of legal software in Europe for Thomson Reuters. And here, I worked again on automation. I worked uh, on delivery platform with um, uh, products like HiQ. So Contract Express was purchased by Thomson Reuters as well. So right. automation with Contract Express, HiQ, the practice management system for law firms called Elite that you probably know as well, but also the tracker, the legal tracker for the in-house corporations. Um, uh, there is this new race of legal platforms. So that's that's one way to look at it. But um, I, how to say, I I moved to, um, to EY in October because I, I wanted to get some sense of um, uh, uh, better delivery. In other words, I see a lot of um, uh, legal tech as, as, as software and it's coming a bit short after that if you if you see what I mean here. I, right. I mean, there is a dimension of service that I wanted to add and, and this is exactly why I, I left the software world to come into this service world and this consultancy work. Hmm? Right. So that's right. interesting. Now, what's hot in legal? Uh, to go back to your question, I... And, and you point me to to tech, rightly, but to uh, to be a bit provocative here, maybe I I, I do no longer believe that tech is the topic, Pepe. Uh, okay, you know the, the, that's an interesting that point. <laughs> <laughs> we are in this pandemic, uh, which basically is an economic crisis. At at one stage or another, it will it will hit the fan uh, to not say the word, but uh, you know, at best uh, at best it will be a budget freeze, and at worst it will be a. a an attempt to to cut the total legal spend. So that's that's one key element to consider if you work with in-house counsel, um, general counsel, so to say. It's it's this notion of total legal spend. So total legal spend is how much do my own lawyers in-house cost me? And that means their salary, their their laptops, their traveling when they can, but also the legal tech that you purchase in there. Uh, uh, so that that's one budget. The second budget is really what you farm out to law firms, what you're are, are spending with traditional law firms, so to say. And the last, uh, which is which is quite small for the moment, is what 
with what people are spending with uh, ALSP, this alternative legal service provider. Okay. So the topic for me um, is more than tech. The topic has really become innovation because in-house counsel need to be to be doing more work in-house with less people. So that's that's yes. one of the equations. So that means that uh, if if also there is less spend with law firms, I mean, tech, you come back to tech and tech, tech adoption by the in-house counsel is, 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 is a must, that's clear. So uh, the problem though with tech is that uh, uh, say you are spending 100 million a, a year uh, in your total legal spend, so to say. If you want to invest in tech, it's an extra spend. And, and frankly, um, I saw more projects with... Uh, um, start of return on on investment, the ROI kicks in only after 18 months or so. So basically, you're asking somebody to cut costs straight away uh, to sort of invest on top of what he's spending already to have some benefits in a couple of years. Huh? But that's that's a must-do. Uh, the in-house counsel must invest in tech. Uh, but in the same time, if they also want to cut costs straight away, they must shift some work that is um, handled by traditional law firms to these ALSP. So th there is a need to go there. And the reason why I'm, 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 as I said earlier, that's exactly why I went to EY is that I want to advise on legal innovation. I want to select and implement tech, but I want to provide better, cheaper, faster legal services at the same time. So, and I think that the combination of the three is what really will make the trick. So going back to innovation though, uh, uh, what can I say? Of course, it's a continuous improvement experience, so to say. But uh, there are two preliminary if you talk about innovation for legal. The first one is that uh, I really believe that people are far from understanding today. And I'm, I'm, I'm by no means better than anybody else. I mean, I'm, I'm working on that as well. But you have to understand what is a work type in law and how much does it cost and what is the value of it so what is your production cost to do an nda and what is the value of an nda and, and really master these two concepts of cost and value for any type of legal work type that you can find out there and that's a lot and and also when you look at that one process only you will then find say three tasks in one process and that's okay. Pepe, where you can find a tech. There are there are thousands of legal tech out there. You can say, okay, look, this is my pain point. Um, this is one process with three tasks, and this is my legal tech to fix it. Right? You follow me? Yeah, yeah. Now, imagine, Pepe, that you have 20 of those processes. And then you aggregate all these work types that you can find in the 20 different processes. And then you start to cluster them together. And you see, well, hang on here. I have in, in process number one, I have... Uh, three work units of uh, labor law and then i have another 20 in process number five and then another 10 in process number 15 and when you cluster all that you can look at things very differently and you say well hang on here I, it's not a legal tech that i need anymore it's a system exactly it's an architecture exactly. huh it's yeah, very different yeah. so let, what do you think of that I think, I mean, it makes a lot of sense right now, especially like what I've seen right now in, I mean, in some un un universities that they're implementing some courses in service design thinking, right? Because you gotta think about your service as a process. It's not something like, well, maybe a lot of firms or a lot of legal teams, they only think like, okay, so this is what pending tasks that we have to do for this client or for this company. But the thing is like, in order to achieve 
those tasks or in order to complete those uh, those those tasks i mean there's there's a whole process and you got to be very detailed on which are the resources that you need to invest in order to complete those tasks and and if you don't have that map in your head you you will have no idea what are the things that you want to automate and if you don't know what things do you want to automate it's very hard to know which kind of tech do you need right because maybe legal tech and a lot of things a lot of people think that legal tech is just like a magic word right it's going to help you to work like a rob like hiring a robot that is going to do all your work but now i mean there's a lot of automation and there's a lot of process but you gotta you gotta have all this process mapped in order to know how long is it going to take how what are the, the costs and and then you it will be easier to know uh how to calculate the re return of investment in uh in uh in, in a platform yeah that's correct and, and it's also a danger because if you are a general counsel you're under pressure you yes. have a lot of and so on and so on and it's so it's so tempting to jump to the tech but Innovation. The other aspect, I said, uh, there are two preliminaries. So, this cost and value concept are very important. The other, the, the other very super important stuff is to consider that you you have to work on work streams. You right. have to select uh, some, and I, I sort of identified five. So, to say, the first one would be to rework on innovation within the in-house expertise, and that means what? That means standardizing work as much as possible. Know your maths. How much does it cost? How much is it worth? And, um, and and seek the right effort for value ratio, so to say. So that, that's one work stream, the in-house expertise. The second work stream is around internal customers. And here, um, uh, you, you have to aim at providing, as, as the in-house legal team, the best and outstanding uh, customer experience for your internal clients. Right. There's a lot to be done with self-service portals. There is a lot to be achieved with automation. And um, and even look at contract lifecycle management again that uh, that uh, you're you you're, you're very you're very familiar with. I mean, where is the innovation? Is it by purchasing um, uh, a platform that I will not name that starts with an A that you like? But <laughs> so, so to put it short, I mean, the innovation is more in stripping down that contract to make it clear, understandable, with agreed on KPIs, with clear milestones, with clear outcomes, with clear fallbacks for any of the outcomes. Uh, so that the innovation for me is more in the stripping down the contract and rebuild it. And then the best tech will 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 come naturally to sustain the system. You, you see what I'm trying to explain here? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it of course makes a lot of sense because you got to think about all of this before starting to look for a software because otherwise, I mean, and, uh, and I think this is one of the main mistakes that a lot of in-house legal teams and even law firms do, right? Because they only think like, okay, we have an IT team right that they are in charge of the software that we are using in our work okay and they ask uh the it team can you look for a software that can help us help us yeah. doing what <laughs> right yeah well uh, the, 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 then there is a language uh, capacity between it people and lawyers <laughs> that's another story <laughs> again but yeah 
Anyway, to go back to these different work streams, so I mentioned these internal customers and the in-house team itself, but then there is one that is completely untouched and completely um, uh, underestimated in my view. It's the external customers. So it does not apply for any company, but uh, a lot of companies would be so well up just investing some time in innovation, uh, trying to help their external customers. Uh, just for sake of example, uh, terms and conditions. Why not deliver a terms and conditions in a visual uh chart manner rather than to have a 20-page legal blurb to to a, to a to a consumer of a service or something like that. So you see that so there is a way of of thinking differently uh, with external customers. With external counsel, what can I say? I mean, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, I think that uh, uh, the near future is about um, uh, shifting work from traditional law firms to ALSPs. But again, maybe using proper AI, what I call proper AI, and to differentiate from legal AI, uh, meaning how do, you, how do you apply AI to uh, identify deviations in billings and um, for work types again and this sort of stuff. So I think that's important as well because they will provide much faster results and much more um, efficiency uh, in the um, in the spend control than trying to negotiate over and over again with beauty parades and this sort of stuff. And the last one is really about the tech vendor because you, the thing is that technology is everywhere and the four other streams technology is there but you also want to be innovative with your with your tech vendors so because you know Pepe on LinkedIn uh, or anywhere you you have only good stories you only have successes with uh, legal tech but you, I can tell you from my background that uh, there are more failure than than successes uh, in, in yeah, terms of yeah. implementation and I so, believe you totally about that <laughs> on that on, on that one I really think that the key thing in innovation is to really work hard to match a, a tech supplier, a tech vendor, as we call that. It's the, the, the tech provider's roadmap and your own IT roadmap. I think this is this is a, a people must absolutely respect that because otherwise it's it's a recipe for disaster. And there is also this mega trend. I think I mentioned that earlier already in our discussion. But you know, this do more with what you have is 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 very important because if you have already an enterprise MS365 license. There is so much you can do with applications on MS365. If you have, um, if you, if you're fairly stable with contract, maybe you can use SAP already to do your contract management as well and things like that. So, visiting what you have in your corporation is really a field to progress quickly and to better manage your your specific application provided by by legal tech, or so to say. So it's there is there is a lot to be done before tech yet. Tech is the means to sustain the innovation. So, right. so that's there. That's very interesting, Eric. And I would like to ask you one, another, maybe, well, two two last questions. The first one, how, in your experience, like how alternative legal service providers or ALSP are taking into this or are tackling these pain points or are tackling these requirements or needs by by customers using technology because i mean even ey is ranked as an alternative legal service provider right now by chambers and um, partners there's a, a very yeah. a new a, a new ranking that is very interesting it's been ranking contract lifecycle management and 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 any other service but what would you say that it's like something that the let's say the conservative legal service providers need to take into consideration right now? What would be like your recommendation and how will the alternative legal service providers are tackling these needs? 
Well, there is um, uh, the answer goes in two directions because actually law firms are doing very well. I mean, uh, um, I, I had I had excellent clients in the past law firms uh, using technology very well and being very efficient. Um, they were even pioneering versus their in-house legal teams or, or maybe even versus um, uh, these ALSPs uh, that you mentioned. But uh, I think they will be outpaced because they are too small to be able to uh, to 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 match the pace that in-house counsel will um, will print in uh, very soon, and 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 it's not even necessarily the in-house counsel in the corporation that is um, is is leading here because what what people need to understand is that uh, um, corporations are in 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 a very very heavy uh, transformation around digital, and. Uh, Often tax is already very there, much there. Finance is very much there. Procurement is very much there. But you know, the legal function in a corporation sits in between these different things, between tax and finance, works with procurement on contract management, different things, etc. So it's a sort of, a, it's the environment in the corporation that is in, in full motion digitalization that sort of um, vacuums the legal team in a corporation's in and this is where the the, the, the pace will accelerate from the in-house counsel perspective now so kudos to law firms they, they did well they invested they still do there is still a space for that of course no 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 issue but often when you look at um, uh, uh, alternative legal service provider they have a lot of um, experience in having worked remotely either from india or from different centers in the world right and and so the, this working remotely is a way already to uh, be considered uh, digitalized so we we have that and in order to make it work we already have a lot of automation in our in our in our delivery so uh, th there is this dimension the other dimension is that often when we called in uh, it's a global network of, um, uh, that is covered, so we can cover needs from anywhere using tech. So we have a sort of what's called managed services is tech enabled. So I have this sort of distinction between guys, you can purchase tech and I advise to purchase tech because I think it's very important. Um, you only, uh, if you are law firm, you need your practice management, you need um, uh, your, your, your billing systems in place. If you are an in-house team, you leave your matter management and your legal spend management, etc. But what's what's even more important is that how do you embed um, um, data scientists or um, uh, you mentioned earlier legal design engineers right. and these sort of things in the teams in order to use tools um, uh, using AI to to apply on 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 specific cases using automation and and this sort of stuff. And that works uh, the same way for law firms, for in-house counsel, for uh, alternative legal service provider um, but this difference with um, the alternative legal service provider is that we have that technology for uh, many many years and it's completely embedded in our way of uh, delivering the work that's great that's great yeah, I didn't thought about it, but that's, that's pretty interesting. And I really appreciate all your recommendations, Eric. They're, they're great. And so going to our last question, Eric, again, as as you know, a lot of our listeners right now in, in the podcast are uh, young lawyers or young students still that, uh, well, they still don't know because it's 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 very hard when you're a uh, young uh, professional. What are you going to do with your life, right? <laughs> it's very hard to see you in ten years or 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 twenty years. But if you can give uh, one main takeaway 
uh, about this uh, this talk that we just have to young lawyers, what would you recommend to young professionals who want to focus their practice on legal innovation? Well, that's a hard one, Pepe. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I still don't know what I want to do in five years. So you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm young and hard, but that, okay. Well, you know, the um, digitization is is a way that is coming from the corporation. So as I mentioned earlier, it's it's the tax, finance, procurement, uh, HR, legal sort of combination in a corporation that will lead to the, um, the further digitalization of the law. So um, if you want to innovate in law, you, you have to play with your colleagues, these guys in tax, in procurement, in finance, and so on, so on. So that's, that's one thing I would say. So Uh, isolated legal innovation is something of the past. It's completely obsolete already. I mean, if you are a young lawyer and you want to succeed, you have to be an excellent lawyer. Uh, you have to know your company perfectly well. Uh, so do not say in your legal office, uh, just meet your colleagues uh, of uh, non-legal colleagues, so to say, and, and, and be curious because um, you need an exhaustive reading of what's going out there in, in terms of tech. Um, Far too often do I see uh, young lawyers or young professionals coming with, hey, I saw that tool, it's super cool because it does this, it does that. And so I say, yeah, mate, but you know, <laughs> there are 20 other tools doing exactly the same. <laughs> right. So that, that, that's, that's, uh, that's super important to have the curiosity to discover things, but to also read the landscape and, 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 and see how you can do that differently. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a good old uh, granddad here. At 50 <laughs> If you want to succeed in a corporation uh, or in a law firm, it's because it's about the same. Uh, if you think about uh, from a young lawyer's perspective, you really have to find your your, your matching culture. But today, you want to find a, a, a corporation or, or a law firm that allows for autonomy, for you to discover things, to be innovative, to be uh, to to have the right to fail and to progress. You have to find a culture that. Um, uh, gives you time for mastery, really playing your games again and again and again and again to the point that you feel that you have achieved and you're on top of things. I think it's super important. And the last point is purpose, which is not always an easy one in business law. It's much more in uh, litigation or other other type of laws, but the purpose of what you're doing is super important. And, and, and so that's completely irrelevant being a lawyer, a young lawyer or, or not, but I think it's super important. That, what I would like to say is that um, uh, I know you love tech. I love tech. Um, we have plenty uh, loving tech applied to law um, because my, you, I think when we first spoke, I, I told you that I did not much like the uh, the term of legal tech, but I much right, prefer right. tech for law because for me, tech for law means something. Legal tech, why, you know, why not? But uh, what, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is that uh, uh, when I see the... I see a speculative bubble in, in two folds as well on the market at the moment. Firstly, when I see the money is invested in, 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 in legal tech startups, it, One has to realize that it's often more money than a, an established uh, tech for law business that is uh, in place on the market for 15 years. Uh, the money poured by VCs on these uh, new startups is is more than the, the turnover after 15 years. So there is something wrong there. And um, uh, so it is speculative. Um, and, and the number of people as well advising on tech um, 
well, I don't know. I'm, uh, I felt very lonely uh, 15 years ago, and all of a sudden they're they're, they're all over the place. So there, there is uh, there is something that uh, I would like to to advise young lawyers that don't don't run for the for the for the graal, so to say. It doesn't exist, but uh, you know, working for a tech company providing services to uh, people uh, practicing law is is attractive and it's interesting, but. L- don't look at the client list of, of a legal tech or, or of a tech for law. Look, look at look at customer acquisition costs. Look at the net promoter score. Look at lifetime value. These are these are real metrics that everybody should look at. Whether you want to join as an employee or you want to purchase a tech or this sort of thing. So, it's about time that we stop just name dropping and um, and moving like uh, like uh, like followers of followers of other followers, so to say. Hmm? Right. Perfect, Eric. So I really appreciate all your time. And we can go on and on for hours talking about legal innovation. So I wish we could uh, schedule another call because this is it's been super interesting. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of our listeners will find it even inspiring. So thanks a lot, Eric, for your time. Thank you, Pepe, for inviting me. And um, I look forward for a real one face-to-face with a camera one day in the future when all this COVID thing is over, right? And a couple of beers. Muchas gracias por escucharnos y nos vemos en el siguiente episodio de RDF Outlook. No se olviden de seguirnos en las redes, síganos en LinkedIn, en Pepe Toriello y en Twitter como arroba Pepe Toriello. Nos vemos en la siguiente. Bye.